Let's ask God to help us with his word. Our gracious uh, Heavenly Father, we pray now in your great mercy uh, that trusting the Lord Jesus, uh, you would give each of us a conviction of the reality of your steadfast love, not just as an idea, uh, but as known in our hearts by your Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, his faithful love endures forever. Uh, the psalmist is pretty clear, isn't he, making his point repeatedly. Give thanks to God, for because his faithful love endures forever. And the purpose of today's talk is also clear that you would share with the psalmist his conviction that the Lord is good because of his faithful love that endures forever. And that sharing that conviction, you would obey God's command and give our God, the Lord, thanks today and every day. Now, why is that the goal? Well, firstly, because it's true. And we honour the living God by believing what is true about him. And he is the God of steadfast love and faithfulness. Secondly, the conviction that our God's love for his people is faithful and steadfast is a source of great confidence and comfort as we face life in this age as it is uncertain, changeable and grievous. And thirdly, because obedience to all God's commands is health-giving and obedience to the command to give thanks is especially good for the health of our souls refreshing us in the remembrance and rehearsal of God's goodness and turning us out away from a preoccupation with our concerns and worries to think of our God and all he has done. So why should we share the psalmist's conviction that the Lord is good because his faithful love endures forever? Well, I'm going to answer that by, by asking four other questions. Who is the God he is speaking of? What is the love he is speaking of? What evidence does he give us for this love enduring forever? And why can we think we are included in this love? Included as those whom the Lord loves. So who is the God he's speaking of? Well, he says, give thanks to the Lord. And this is the name the Lord gave to Israel the name by which they could call upon him, the Lord. And so he is the God who speaks, who can give himself a name. And his name has the sense of I am who I am. I will be who I will be. It tells us he is the free God who has life in himself, who depends on no one and nothing, who is never forced by any to be other than he chooses to be, and so if he loves, he loves freely. Free because he is the almighty creator, not some human creation. Israel's God who entered into a committed relationship, a covenant with them, the God of gods in a world of many so-called gods, he rules, all powers depend on and are subject to him. The Lord of lords in a world of many lords, many rulers who claim power over our lives, he rules. The God of the heavens, as the heavens extend over all the earth, over all people. He is the God of the whole earth, the God of all. The psalmist is speaking of the living creator God. 
the God of Israel, the God of all, our God. And he says his faithful love endures forever. So what is this love that he's speaking of? Because let's face it, love can have many different meanings to different people. Romantic love, love of family, love we're obligated to show, benevolence. What's the love the psalmist speaking of here? Well, faithful love is the translation of one Hebrew word, kesed, and it has a sense that's actually hard to translate by one English word or phrase, and so you'll see varying translations. Faithful love, steadfast love, loving kindness, loyal love. And so it's a love that's a commitment both to the other person in the relationship and to keeping all the obligations of the relationship whether that relationship is the covenant relationship between God and his people or a relationship between two people. So Proverbs 19 tells us what's desired in a person is his fidelity, faithfulness, and that fidelity is a translation of this word cassette. But this faithful love is a love that goes beyond the letter of the law, goes beyond, in a sense, the articulated expectations, what could be rightfully demanded by one party in the relationship from the other. And we see that in the book of Ruth, uh, where this faithful love is central. And in fact, in Ruth, this word, cassette is translated as kindness. It's a word used to describe what Ruth shows to Naomi in sticking with her and providing for her even when Naomi can't keep her side of the relationship and provide with another husband. In Ruth, sticking with Naomi even when Naomi declares that Ruth is free of obligation to her. It's also used to describe Boaz's behaviour, his generous and thoughtful provision for Ruth and Naomi when Ruth goes to the field to glean that goes well beyond any social, social expectations of how we should treat them. Both Ruth and Boaz show a loyalty and a love that goes well beyond what could be expected or demanded. And it's a loyalty and love that enriches the other, that actually saves, that rescues Naomi from destitution. And the love which is this faithful love even goes beyond kindness to the deserving or kindness to family members. This is a love that stays committed even when the other person fails in their commitment, doesn't live up to their side of the bargain. In fact, the Greek version of the Old Testament mainly translates this word by mercy. And that's actually the way the King James translates this, uh, the, it here too. The mercy of the Lord endures forever. So there's a generosity in this faithful love that shows itself in mercy and grace to the undeserving. And we see that again and again in Scripture. It's the Lord's faithful love that Moses appeals to when Israel rebelled on the border of the Promised Land. Verse 19, pardon the iniquity of this people in keeping with the greatness of your faithful love. The psalmist, conscious of his sin, appeals to the Lord's faithful love. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my acts of rebellion. In keeping with your faithful love, remember me. In Psalm 106, it's this faithful love that brings sinful, rebellious Israel relief. When he heard their cry, he took note of their distress, remembered his covenant with them and relented according to the abundance of his faithful love. And in Psalm 130, it's this faithful love 
in which Israel can hope for redemption from the depths of their misery. God shows this said this faithful love because he's actually declared himself to be a God of faithful love. He declared himself to be that uh, to Moses on Mount Sinai after the incident uh, with the golden calf. The Lord passed in front of him and said, The Lord, the Lord, is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth. It is the Lord's nature to show faithful love. And here the psalmist says, God's faithful, generous, gracious love and mercy, like himself, endures forever. It never ceases, has no time limit, never gives up. And this is good news for those embraced by it. There will never be a time when God will not show, said, faithful, merciful love to those who are in relationship with him, who are in covenant with him. It can always be relied on, always appealed to by them. So what's the evidence for this faithful love that the psalmist gives, the, the reasons he provides for giving thanks for this love? Well, he says it's seen in God's wonders, the mighty works he's done in creation and salvation. What are those works? And he looks at the ordering of creation in the creation of the heavens and the earth and the setting of the great lights. Uh, God didn't need to create an ordered world that we could inhabit. He was under no obligation to create us or to create this beautiful world. It's a sign of his grace. More, making those great powers, the sun and the moon, whom surrounding nation worships, making them our servants to give us ordered lives, lives with day and night, lives with seasons and lives with fruitfulness. That's actually his grace. His faithful love is seen in creation, the giving and sustaining of ordering creation. And then the psalmist turns to the Lord's dealings with Israel. <coughs> he starts with God's mighty works, his plagues by which he compelled Pharaoh to set them free, the liberation at the foundation of their becoming the Lord's people. Now, why did God free Israel from Egypt? Was it because they were good? Well, no, many were idolaters. Even when they were in the land, Joshua could say to them, put away the gods your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt. And it wasn't because they greeted Moses with joy and immediately trusted him. And when Moses came with the good news of liberation, they quickly gave up on him. When Pharaoh rejected the Lord's commands and set them free, they became discouraged and Moses could say the people of Israel haven't listened to me so why did God act it was because the Lord was faithful to the covenant he'd made with Abraham Isaac and Jacob it was because of his faithful love and then of course we're told he led them through the Red Sea an act of great power that meant they no longer needed to fear Egypt now did Israel earn this deliverance by their faithfulness well, no, they were actually terrified and grumbling. Exodus 14, they say to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. So why didn't God abandon them in their unbelief? 
It was because of his steadfast, faithful love. Oh, and then he led them through the wilderness where they tested him again and again, whether it was grumbling about water. Why did you bring us out of Egypt, they said, to kill us and our children and livestock with thirst or grumbling about the food? There's nothing at all but this manna, they said, or about the leadership or about God's plan to take them into Canaan. They consistently rejected God. But the Lord led them through the wilderness to the border of Canaan. He was faithful to his commitment, faithful to himself. He showed faithful love to his people. And they were an untried military force, and yet the Lord gave them victory, gave them their land to live in, gave them their land knowing, as we see in Deuteronomy 32, that they would rebel, that they'd forsake him and worship idols. Why did God do this? Because of his faithful love, his loyalty to the covenant he made with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And that love didn't stop when he had brought them into the land. He remembered us in our humiliation. Throughout Israel's history, where repeatedly they've been humbled by foreign invaders because of their sins, the Lord repeatedly rescued them. The fact that Israel was still there, the fact that the psalmist could summon them in the temple to sing this psalm, was actually a testimony to God's faithful love, a love which never failed because God never fails. Never fails to be the God he has declared himself to be. And the psalm ends by remembering us that he's not just the God of Israel, but the God of all creation, of all the earth. He gives food to every creature. He continues to sustain his creation because his loyal love to his creation never fails. Now this loyal love is the source of hope. It can be appealed to for help by both individuals and the nation. For even though Israel might fail in its commitments, the Lord never does. So because of his steadfast love, his mercy, they could always rely on his promises through all the ups and downs, the successes and failures of their history. But can you and I today as believers in Jesus rely on that love? Can we know that we too are embraced by this faithful, merciful, persevering love that never fails? Well, yes, because it is God's steadfast love that saves us. The Father sends the Lord Jesus into the world because of his steadfast love his faithfulness to his covenant people and his promises. Mary knew that. That's why she sang. He has helped his servant Israel remembering his mercy. That is his cassette, his faithful love. Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, knew this and praised God for his steadfast love, his mercy in keeping his covenant in sending John to prepare the way for God's saviour. The Lord Jesus comes into the world because of the Lord's faithful love, his commitment to his covenant people. But that love, we are told specifically, has the whole world in view, just as the promises to Abraham did, for God so loved the world. Now the world's humanity organised in rebellion against God 
So this is a love for the undeserving. This is a gracious love, a love full of mercy. It's this love that has sent Jesus into the world. And it's actually this love that brings us to trust in Jesus. Uh, You heard Paul in Ephesians 2 speak of how we were dead, people without a future, people like corpses, unresponsive, unresponsive to God because of our sin, with nothing to commend us to God, no reason for God to do us good. But Paul continues, God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love, made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in our transgress dead in our trespasses. We are saved because of the Lord's faithful love. And it's this love we are assured of in knowing that Christ has died for us. Not because we were trying hard to please God, no, died for us while we were still sinners, still rebels against God. So this is never a deserved or earned love, a love responding to our loveliness. It is like our God, free, freely given, depending on himself, on his being who he has declared himself to be, the God of steadfast love and faithfulness. And we are assured that having come to know this love in Christ, this love will never fail us that the faithful love of the Lord will endure, will never leave us. The Apostle Paul says, Who can separate us from this love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword? As it is written, because of you we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not even death. This steadfast, generous, gracious, merciful love of the Lord is never failing. And it is what believers have experienced, what we have been saved by and embraced by in trusting the Lord Jesus. And so in a sense, believers in Jesus could write their own continuation of Psalm 136. It might go something like this. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. He kept his promises to Abraham. His faithful love endures forever. He sent his son into the world to save sinners. His faithful love endures forever. He conceived a son by the power of the Spirit. His faithful love endures forever. He presented his son as a sacrifice to atone for our sins. His faithful love endures forever. To go on. He raised him from the dead. He made him Lord and Christ. He exalted him to his right hand. He subjected all powers to him. He gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon his people. His faithful love endures forever. 
It would continue. He sent out gospel preachers. He brought his saving word to the ends of the earth. He opens blind eyes to see Jesus' glory. He brings the dead in sin to life. His good shepherd is always with his people. He loves even his enemies. He desires all to be saved. His faithful love, his generous, merciful love endures forever. This is what the gospel teaches. That repenting and believing in the Lord Jesus, confessing that he's died for our sins and risen again, we can now know for ourselves, not as an abstraction, but in our hearts, this faithful, generous love and praise our God that his faithful love endures forever. Though our faith is often frail and faltering and our love of God so feeble, and maybe we've felt that over these last 18 months, we can rely on his steadfast love. For it's a gracious love, the love of the free God who has freely determined that he is the God of steadfast love and mercy and so will be forever. So how should we respond to this faithful love? Well, the psalmist tells us, God's word commands us, with thankfulness, the thankfulness of those who, trusting the Lord Jesus, know we are loved by the living God with a steadfast love. Now, let me say here, though, if you are not yet a believer, in the Lord Jesus, you can have no confidence in or comfort from this love. In fact, you might even be fearful of it. So you heard in the psalm, didn't you, that this love is seen in the defeat of the enemies of God's people, Pharaoh and the ancient king Sion and Og. You see, this love that promises the defeat of all those who continue to oppose God's Son, the Lord Jesus, of all who choose, in John's words, to love darkness rather than light because they want to keep doing the sinful things that give them pleasure, wealth and power, ignoring God. See, this is a love that will not tolerate the continued marring of God's creation, the defacing by cruelty and unkindness of those made in his image and that's what our sin does. And so as long as you refuse to recognise yourself as a sinner, unfashionable as it is, someone who's been ignoring God, trying to get God out of your life, defying God by wanting to be the only authority in your life, you will not know this love. But it is there to be known if you can confess the rightness of God's judgment on you and turn back and confess Jesus as God's king, the one to be listened to, believed and obeyed. A love that if you can see for a moment the ugliness of your rejection of the good creator God will amaze you with its graciousness, depth, generosity and perseverance. Now perhaps you're listening, you know you're not a believer, but you can sense the goodness of this love and of being loved with a love like this. And yet in what I'm talking about, there's lots you're uncertain about. You know, even ideas of sin are pretty foreign. Or maybe you're not sure about the resurrection or you just don't know Jesus. Come and talk. Why turn this love away? The love that actually seeks you. But if we're believers 
Our thankfulness for the steadfast love of the Lord should be wholehearted and constant. Thankfulness for this love should characterise us. Be always present. For the steadfast love of God is never failing, always there to be known and relied upon, known and relied upon as Jeremiah knew, even in the hardest, most grievous of times. You see, in the ruins of Jerusalem, in the midst of his grief, he could write, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish, for his mercies never end. In fact, that same grief is spoken of in the very next psalm, Psalm 137. That's probably the most popular psalm, that, well, known most popularly. By the waters of Babylon, we sat down and wept. You see, the psalms know the grief of loss and yet command thankfulness. Our thankfulness to God for his steadfast love should still be there in our grief and our experience of frailty for it is real, unwavering and enduring and will keep us. Now I think as believers we know that but we actually struggle with that thankfulness. Perhaps we struggled it particularly greatly at times over the last 18 months. We struggle with it because we struggle to believe we are loved. And that struggle means sometimes that we can have what I call a brittle and anxious thankfulness. Oh yeah, we're thankful as we ought to be for the good we enjoy, our prosperity, our family, our health, but we fear losing them. And maybe the pandemic has heightened that fear for you. Our thankfulness is brittle, fragile, captive to our circumstances. In fact, sometimes we can appear thankful, but it's actually motivated by that fear, the thought that if we are not appropriately grateful, God will take those things from us, perhaps even teach us a lesson we think that we don't want to learn. Now, this is not thankfulness that comes from a conviction of God's steadfast love, but doubt in it, a thankfulness that's actually trying to control a God we fear, to bargain with him. And when we lose what we love and fear losing, this is our thankfulness, we're left at best confused and at worst angry because God hasn't repaid our devotion. It's awful to live with this fragile thankfulness. It's awful to have an appearance of thankfulness and a heart that is bargaining with God out of fear. And that fear tells us our hearts need somewhere more secure to rest than in the enjoyment of God's gifts, good as they are. If we're ever to be secure in a world full of change and loss, our hearts must rest in the unchanging giver, rest in a confidence in his steadfast love. But how how can we have that confidence? Well, the psalmist points the way. We meditate, as he calls us to. We repeat to ourselves the expressions of God's steadfast love in his dealings with his people, in his dealings with us. We repeat, in a sense, to ourselves the gospel. That's what Paul does in Romans 8. He speaks the gospel to himself before he proclaims God's unfailing love. 
What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us and the gospel tells us that the God who sent his son into the world to save us while we're sinners is for us, if God is for us, who can be against us? He didn't even spare his own son but gave him up for us all. And the gospel tells us he has done that. How will he not also give us with him all things? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? That is, who can ever separate us from God, the holy and just God? Because the gospel tells us God is the one who justifies. He makes us right with himself. So who can condemn? Well, not Jesus. But yet he's the one the gospel tells us has all authority, the authority to judge and forgive He intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Paul repeats the gospel to himself and with that comes his conviction of the unfailing love of God and of Christ for his people. We remind ourselves of the generous, merciful love that we've come to know in the gospel. And then knowing our frailty, and we are frail, we're easily taken up, we're easily knocked off course by some trial or testing, some grief. Knowing our frailty, we pray for ourselves and each other what we're encouraged to pray, that being rooted and firmly established in love, we might have be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, the height and depth of God's love and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge. This is a prayer we should pray for ourselves and for each other, that we would know this love not just as something to which we give intellectual assent, but something of which the Spirit has convicted us in our hearts. You see, the struggle to give thanks, to give thanks for God's goodness, for his steadfast love as the heart of our abiding thankfulness to him is the struggle of faith. And that's a struggle we should engage in every day. And so some form of Psalm 136 should be part of our daily diet for it is a health-giving diet because it really is freeing to abandon the junk food of anxious Bargaining thanks for thankfulness to God, for his steadfast love, his generous and merciful, his unearned and undeserved love given to us in his son Jesus. You see, such thankfulness can sustain you, sustain your confidence in God in the hardest times, sustain you in the peace of those who know they are kept and saved by a generous grace. And that thankfulness protects you. It protects you from being preoccupied with and having all your hopes in the things of this world. It protects you so that you can keep your heart in heaven where Christ is, be directed by his will, love what he loves and live longing to meet him. Many of us have come to the end of the year tired, I think, And we come to the end of the year sensing there is still a lot of uncertainty in the year ahead. Uncertainty about the economy, the direction of politics, the path of the pandemic. Personal uncertainty about whether we might get infected or not, whether we will live or die. 
But you know, that uncertainty about our lives has always been there. We are frail and fleeting, like grass or the seasonal flowers, here today, gone tomorrow. And yet, if we are believers in the Lord Jesus, we can face our frailty and the uncertainty of our lives, knowing that the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever, the love that he has given us in Christ. We can face knowing that this love is unearned, graciously given, rich in mercy, persevering. A love that can embrace all, all who will confess Jesus a Lord. A love that will actually keep us, be ours, whether we prosper in this life or not, whether we live or die. So if you're a believer... As you look at the year that's passed and as you think about the year to come, give thanks to the Lord for he is good because his steadfast love, the love that every one of us have come to know and experience in the Father giving his Son for us, his steadfast love endures forever. Let's pray. Our God, in your mercy, we pray that trusting the Lord Jesus, that he's died for our sins and risen again, we would know this love in our hearts. We would be convicted that your steadfast love endures forever, will never fail us. We will never be separated from it so that we will live faithful, and thankful lives of love in this world, which honour you, the true and living God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.